On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino, signing day is Wednesday, so Josh McQuistian joins us to talk about OU's 2023 recruiting class, and we give you the latest OU football news. We finish up giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, December 19th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about Riverwind's promotions and entertainment options in the month of December, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now recording this Sunday afternoon, recording a little earlier than normal. We got some uh, some holiday stuff yeah. done tonight. Yeah, the, the schedule's full, man. Got just full slate. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted, how we doing, man? Fantastic. Cannot complain. Excellent weekend. Uh, some good sports going on. I'm doing great. As, as mine. Now we've got our buddy Josh McQuistian from Soonerscoop.com to take a deep dive into OU's 2023 recruiting class. Can you believe signing days on Wednesday? No, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's one of those things. And I, I think I've made this comment before. It feels like it's so far away. And then all of a sudden it's right on top of you. And it's like, Oh my God, I'm not prepared for this. It's uh, there's just too much in one, one <laughs> short period of time. There's just yep. too much. They got to do something about it. End of the year, bowl stuff, signing day, transfer portal. It's a lot. It's a lot. Now, we're not coaches, so it's it makes our job easy. Right. Right. Yes, we got all does. kinds of stuff to talk about, but man, it, it it is a busy time. So let's get to it, man. And this is something that with all the stuff on here that we talk about on here, it gets lost. Right. And I think this is something that gets lost just in college football in general now, because we're always talking about transfer portal, NIL recruiting rankings, obviously the games, everything going on, but congrats to all the guys that graduated this weekend. It's a big deal, man. Getting that piece of paper is a huge accomplishment. And, and I know that the education component of things certainly feels like it is 
completely overshadowed by like every other aspect of the sport now. But when you talk about how important it is for setting you up for the rest of your life, it's a huge deal. So congrats to those guys. Yep. It is. It's big. You, uh, you graduate, you get that behind you. Um, you know, you can move on and, and a lot of guys continue to, to track down going after, uh, you know, extended education and, that's that's a, a great way to do it as well, but it is nice to to be able to get that done, kind of get it behind you. It's a big accomplishment, and then you can really start to hone in on what your next like major focus is going to be. Yeah, and everyone knows that Ted Lehman was a big school guy, huge Loved school it. guy, they said. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stories that we won't uh that I've been told over the years, but we won't uh we won't get into those. Okay, so on our last episode, we talked about the report from Brett McMurphy that there was momentum for OU in Texas to go to the SEC in 2024. There is now some more reporting on that from CBS's Dennis Dodd. So here's a quote from his article. Quote, would include Big 12 rights holders being made whole with a series of future non-conference games involving those teams within the league's footprint. So, Ted, this is how I understand the the logic. OU and Texas leaving early would reduce the viewership of Big 12 games in 2024, clearly because they are the biggest brands in the Big 12 conference. So to make up for that, OU and Texas would have to play some future non-conference games on the road at Big 12 schools. Am I understand, is it, Am I understanding this correctly? Yes, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting and we talked about this bedlam, you know, OSU was clearly wanted to move on from that. And I can under totally understand their, their reasoning, but the network folks involved realize that that is a big game that gets a lot of ratings. One of the heaviest betted uh, wagered on games in all of college football. Uh, I think that may have something to do with it as well. Continuing I, bedlam. I, yeah. And I think that, I think if you look at, let, let's say that this ends up being the deal, right? That in order for OU and Texas to leave early, They've got to go play a couple of Big 12 opponents on the road. I, The top one that OU fans would want to go play would be Bedlam, right? Well, I don't know if I mean, I'd rather OU... go play in Stillwater than go play TCU or like, you know what I mean? No, I agree. I agree. Um, but the, I'm just telling you right now, there's going to be a huge group of OU fans that don't want to like if we are going to almost like pity game this thing like okay we'll play you guys we're moving on to the sec but we have to play you guys there's going to be a, a group of fans that will would rather go to Ames or wherever and have the pity game with osu now i'm not saying that's right but the, there will be a large group in the fan base that feels that way about it i I would rather it 
with how things are looking for Oklahoma State right now, yes, with I agree. the current situation of that roster, what they ended up looking like in the back half of the season, all the guys that they have in the portal, give me Oklahoma State and Stillwater. I agree, hundred percent. I agree, and, and I know there's another full season in between now and then. But the the thing about there, there were not any details about how many games or when those games would be played. And Dennis Dodd in his article, he said, Hey, there, we don't know when or how many. So yeah. I just, I like realistically for this to make sense for Oklahoma. I mean, how many games are we talking here? You know what I mean? Like, is this like, okay, you're going to have to do two of them. All right. You no know, two road games at big 12 schools over a couple of years. Fine. Whatever. If we're talking like six, uh, that doesn't make much sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. Is it just through the end of the what the original contract would have been? I don't know how they negotiate that out, but um, I feel like the Big 12 is – I feel like they're getting a hell of a deal here if this happens. All right. OU and Texas are leaving. All right. They've already signed a new rights deal or have negotiated a new rights deal. They're going to be making more money than they were previously. They've added some some good – they've already got a, a really good group that's coming in as a replacement. Um, I, and now they're also going to continue to hold ONU, uh, OU in Texas to the, to the fire and, and get some – some future inventory, television inventory. It's a heck of a deal. It's it's so good for the Big 12, you almost wonder, why would OU and Texas do that? I know. I don't know. And, and, and maybe there's more to it. We just don't understand it, right? But, yeah. I mean, you look at Dennis Dodd's article, and the interesting part, if OU and Texas want to be, want to make the move to the SEC in the summer of 2024, the you look at the Big 12 bylaws, like the contract, how it's written, they have to give 18 months notice, right, if they're going to leave early. So that would be like, they have to let them know in the next couple of weeks. Right now, I know that, you know, maybe some type of deal can be made or something like that, but... Didn't they already tell them, though? They they told him they told him they weren't going to renew the grant of rights. They haven't said, "Hey, we're leaving early." Okay. Hmm. Or at least that's how I understood. It. Once again, I'm dumb, so who knows? But just from everything I've read, because in that article, Dennis Dodd is talking about how OU will still owe the Big Twelve a termination fee for leaving, and it would be like eighty four million dollars if they gave eighteen months notice essentially now right so i all i know is lawyers are going to make a lot of money in this whole thing but that number the anticipation would be that number would be negotiated down pretty significantly when it comes to the exit fee and that's that's why like it would all work together being offset with some games essentially i guess that's how this whole thing's supposed to work it's like Hey, the exit fee comes down. You give us some games. So the television partners, especially Fox, are happy with everything. I, I don't know. It seems like a lot of moving parts, man. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I don't. I, I guess I just don't understand it. Like, it's eighty-four million if you give eighteen months' notice. What is it if you don't give eighteen months' notice? Like, well, you can't just leave early. I guess I, I, I don't know if there's an extra penalty or what. Because remember, the plan right of now is, hey, you're leaving. When well, they've been the talking rights- about this, this, this fee for leaving early. Since the entire since the thing was originally announced, right? Like, why wouldn't you just do it then? I get. I don't know. That seems seems strange, but I I don't know. I don't know enough about like the the loopholes or whatever it is in the. I I guess what I my whole line of thinking is, if a conference has added teams that are already starting this next season they've added teams they're already starting they've already negotiated a new media rights deal the new media rights deal is better than the old media rights deal they're making more money i i would have a hard time trying to convince a judge that i've been put in a disadvantageous position by ou and texas leaving whenever i'm now making more money than I was previously. That doesn't jive very well with me. I like, that's I hear the whole you. argument. Yeah, but I just yeah, I it, it was just an interesting follow up to Brett McMurphy's initial report. Basically, was like, hey, there, but there are a lot of obstacles. Yeah, I, I think those obstacles are a little more clear now with some of the stuff that Dennis Dodd has put out there. Here, here's the quote right from the article. It says Texas and Oklahoma would at least owe the Big 12 a termination fee for leaving early. The contract states any school departing early owes two years worth of revenue. Using an average annual figure of $42 million, the Big 12 could reap as much as $168 million if Texas and Oklahoma give notice to the league 18 months in advance. That's crazy. Now, here's the one thing we do have to remember. OU and Texas were not like, – this wasn't supposed to be public news until Texas A&M made it public news, right? Like, that's the one thing you have to remember is, like, they were they were doing this thing. They were moving along behind the scenes, probably trying to position themselves properly to where whenever the time came, they would be able to, to make the announcement plan to leave, plan to leave early, inform the Big 12 to where it all lined up time-wise, 
then Texas A&M just went in and, you know, pulled the pin on the grenade, tossed it in the room and left. <laughs> right. That's a good way of putting it. But yeah, so just, I don't know what's going to, I still think they're going to be in the SEC in 2024. I don't have any type of inside information. I think, I think this is a pretty safe assumption though. If that does happen, it's going to be rather complicated. Yeah. But Hey, if, if we're talking about sounds like more good non-conference games, which I'm up for. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to complain about OU TCU or Bedlam or OU Texas Tech. Sign me up. Why not? Now, I still wish we were playing Georgia next year. Yeah. But that'd be cool. Well, maybe, maybe not. I was about to say, I <laughs> wish is not the word I would the use. The thought of being able to play a team like Georgia is something to be excited about. Yes. But if maybe build the roster a little more before we take the Bulldogs on. Once again, not scared, not scared, just realistic about Georgia's situation compared to Oklahoma's currently. That's right. We'll, you know, we'll get the dogs here in a couple of years. It's fine. It's fine. All right. A couple other things. Uh, Nick Evers. uh, I know that there was a, there was a rather strong reaction when he jumped in the transfer portal. He's going to Wisconsin. An interesting landing spot, right? Luke Fickle taking over there. Uh, Graham Mertz, who's been the starting quarterback, jumped in the transfer portal. Uh, Seems like a good landing spot for Nick Evers. And this is just how it's going to be, man. Whether it's fair or not to Nick Evers and Jackson Arnold, like these guys are going to be compared. OU fans are going to monitor how things go for Evers there at Wisconsin. And those two guys are always going to be compared by, you know, just based on their performance and may not be fair to either of them, but that's just the way the world works. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I think, I think Evers going to Wisconsin is, I think that's, I think that's a good school. It's a good place to go. He's they're going to be uh, led by a really good coach. It's had a lot of success. Um, it's got a great fan base. They played in some, some really cool games. I, I think that's a, a good landing spot for Nick Evers. We'll see how he develops. Don't know a whole heck of a lot about, you know, the offense that they're going to install up there at Wisconsin. I traditionally, it's always kind of been the same thing. Now I wonder if that, that is going to carry on, uh, be interesting to see, but uh, I think it's a good landing spot, but you're right. I mean, ultimately I, <laughs> That's just what what happens. If he goes and lights it up, everyone's going to be saying like how big of a mistake it was for us. If he goes and doesn't have as much success, everyone's going to say that you know we, you know, obviously made a, a great move with Jackson Arnold. It's just that's the nature of the business, unfortunately. Yeah, with Phil Longo ending up at Wisconsin. Remember, he left North Carolina to be the new OC at Wisconsin. It's going to look a lot different there offensively, man. Tradi- uh, that's a that's another leech tree guy so uh, you know it's it's fascinating to see what what parts he he kind of keeps of wisconsin's like what they're known for because they spit out a ton of offensive linemen great line of scrimmage players really on both sides because of kind of what they've always done um 
Now they've changed throughout the years, obviously a little bit to stay modern, but I mean, that's a, that's a run heavy football team that is really built around their offensive line. See how it continues. Yeah. If, I mean, if Phil Longo can blend the two, right. Kind of play to the strengths that that roster has right now. Now, of course, maybe they change their recruiting philosophy a little bit. You know, everyone wants to get more as dynamic as they can at the skill positions. But I, when you talk about just what it's going to look like, I'm so curious what Wisconsin's offense is going to look like next season. I know. You should be able to blend it. I mean, you could take good passing concepts and, and blend that in with good running concepts that are big, heavy power football. It, it, you don't have to be like most good offenses are a balance of, of those things. I mean, there's some people that, that don't have the ability to, to build the offensive line and from the inside out that depend more through the air and through getting it to skill players. But the teams that do both typically have a really, really nice mix. And ultimately that's what you should strive for. Yeah. I just, I'm just imagining like RPO game with seven offensive linemen on the field. It's going to be gorgeous. I know it. I know it. You're going to be angry because an extra offensive lineman is going to be blocking a backer four yards down the field. Yeah. Well, it's just the world I have to live in until they uh, take a a look at the rules and wonder why are we doing something that makes no sense at all, Um, which will (laughs) never happen. You're right. It won't. Okay. One last thing. Grace Ford took a visit to Norman and got quite the backlash uh, for it. Uh, Some Oklahoma State fans were not happy at all. And this is a guy that he certainly he's he's had injury issues, right? He's missed a lot of football games. But you can never have too many guys that can rush the passer, right? Huh? What what do you think? You think, and we'll, we'll see what Trace Ford ends up deciding, but you think he'd be a good fit in Venable's defense? Yeah, I do. Um, obviously, Trace Ford, healthy. Um, he's really good athlete, good at the point of attack, has some some nice pass rush ability. Yeah, I think – now, do I think that he's uh, I, someone that would be end up being the cornerstone that you build around? It's hard to say, honestly – you know, we just got to see where his where his health is, where his development is. But I think healthy Trace Ford right now, after the season that we saw from from Grimes or from uh, Downs, I think think he can be every bit of that good, perhaps better. You know, he's he doesn't have the size of either one of those guys, but I think he makes up for that with with like more agility and maybe a little bit hotter off the football. The, the thing that you and I discussed throughout the season. Now our Mason Thomas was one guy where sometimes you just kind of know what it looks like from a pass rushing perspective. Mm-hmm. And our Mason Thomas has Twitch, right? The suddenness, whatever word you want to use. And Trace Ford, when healthy, I feel like you always got to throw that qualifier in there. He's got some of that, right? I mean, you go back and you think about how good he looked as a freshman. You're like, this guy's going to be a star. Well, injuries are the worst. 
and they seem to have derailed a very promising career up to this point for Trace Ford. But he does have twitch, man. He's got suddenness, and that's just we have not seen a ton of that from from Oklahoma's defensive line this year, especially those ed, edge positions. I mean, you think about how Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes kind of rush in general. It's more. You know, speed to power, there's very little, oh, man, hey, you beat him clean with the sweet inside me. Like, there's just not a lot of that. So if he can just bring that and be a situational pass rusher, right, coming in in obvious pass situations, then it's certainly worth taking a look at, man. Now, I'm sure he's going to have plenty of offers and plenty of options, but you need guys that can rush the passer and – when healthy, Trace Ford can absolutely do that. Yeah, right now I'd say that's like, we are incredibly thin at experienced edge guys. Right? I I think that we we've got some some younger guys that you know I still consider Downs young. He fin- just finished his true sophomore year. Um, like he needs to make a massive leap between right now and next year. Massive. Um, and I think he's capable of doing that. Um, but we like just true pass rushers right now. Cause, cause downs is not a, like, I don't classify him as a pass rusher. And I don't classify Grimes as a, as a real pass rusher either. He had that, he had that little push pull move that worked really well early in the season, but didn't, didn't have a whole lot of success after that with it. I mean, our Mason Thomas is our only real true pass rusher. Now, with McCullough, that changes. Our Mason Thomas is going to have, uh, you know, another year to develop his skills. But we're still what I would consider to be very light in that that spot right now. Yeah. No. So it's a it, it's certainly an interesting discussion, right? The I correct me if I'm wrong. We have not had a Oklahoma State guy come to Oklahoma. Not that I know of. I mean, I'm sure there's a certainly not of... in the portal era, right? No, because I feel portal. like we would remember yeah. and we would have talked about it on here for sure. So this could be <laughs> that'd be an interesting situation, but uh, you need pass rushers anyway you can get them. So that is that's definitely a a story that we'll continue to monitor. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the most important thing for OU football that happened this weekend. And this this first one comes from Boomer Bowtie, who says, I think it's all of college football, the NCAA announcement that for redshirt players that be allowed to play in bowl in a bowl game and it not counting towards the four-game limit. That, that was something that came down over the weekend for every bowl game after December 15th. So sorry, guys, if you played on – one of the December 15th bowl games, but for every game after that, if a freshman plays in it, it does not count towards the four game limit for his red shirt. I, it'll be interesting to see how that affects Oklahoma. Yeah. But what are we, what are we doing? Uh, uh, how far is this going to go? All right. Now we're at five games. You can play in four games and then your bowl game we're at five games and still maintain your red shirt. I'm not necessarily saying that 
I disagree with it, but I mean that that's a lot of football. That's a I, lot of football. I like the rule. I really do. Because just thinking like back to my career, it would have been really cool to be able to play in four games and still keep my redshirt year. And I think I would have with kind of where we were at depth wise at tight end, my my redshirt year back in 09. But yeah, it, it just seems like would you see the kid? What is it? Um the Oregon kid that's on his like ninth year of eligibility now. It's nuts. It's I don't mind it. I it's fine. I don't, it's just like, I don't where, mind where the bowl game. Going? I I I don't think the bowl game should count. I I agree with this ruling, but I also hear what you're saying. Like you can play in five games and still redshirt. Like is that ma- like what's the medical uh, threshold to get a medical? I mean, it should match, shouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> five games is a lot of ball, but I get it, especially like with guys opting out of bowl games. It it leaves you in a weird spot roster wise. But I, again, I'm I'm fine with it. I just wonder like where is it ever going to end, or is there going to be? Like, what's the next thing? Like, this will be half. Well, five games, six is like half. You should be able to play in half, right? I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's never ending. Yeah. I. It'll probably just be like every guy gets six years of eligibility. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. You get six. <laughs> just you get throw six it. years. Here we no go. No more red <laughs> shirt. Doesn't matter. You play six years of college football. It'd be awesome. No. Yeah. I. But I, I do think the main I, I i would think the main driver behind that rule change is what you're talking about with the opt-outs yeah. and just having more guys available to play in the game especially you see some of these i mean you're talking double digit opt-out numbers for some of these uh, some of these rosters so guys that I like hit it. the portal and then guys that are you know opting out of bowl game for nfl you can you all of a sudden be without a massive chunk of your football team. Yeah. And a lot of key contributors, right? Yeah. So that's where, and I have not kept track of any freshman that this could allow uh, to play in the cheese it bowl. But if it allows a guy for Oklahoma to get on the field and get some really valuable reps against a really good football team, Seems good, right? Uh, but I, I don't know if, like, you think about a guy like Jaden Gibson or Nick Anderson, or and I know Llewellyn has definitely played in well over four games with everything he's done on How many games teams. did R. Mason Thomas play in? I don't know, because he, he missed quite a few with a hammy. A, he missed a big chunk there. Wonder so if he's I don't, in. Yeah, I don't know if this ends up being – maybe someone can, out there can do some digging, right, it, who this could end up benefiting for Oklahoma, but – Hopefully it ends up working out in a big way for the Sooners. That's that's my hope, at least. Yeah, I agree. Okay, this other one comes from Jeremy LaForce. And he says, Notre Dame fans being pissed off. We yeah. we will dive into the Peyton Bowen situation uh, with Josh McQuistion here in, in just a bit. But yeah. I've seen, have you seen some of the message board, uh, message board genius screenshots? 
I no, but I know that Notre Dame was really quickly um real quick to like with the McCullough brothers coming to Oklahoma and then the Peyton Bowen situation. I did hear from from some people that Notre Dame fans are really quick to start talking about how those guys weren't any good really to begin with anyways. That, <laughs> you know, they, that they're not any move. good or Oklahoma's paying them absorbent amounts of money. Right. Or maybe both, you know? <laughs> Could be both. But, yeah, we'll get into that. But first, birthday shout-outs. Happy sixth birthday to Bennett Barty. Happy ninth birthday to Grant Moore. Happy 12th birthday to Bane Wolf. What a name. Happy 15th birthday to Owen Huddleston. Happy 39th birthday to Brian Steigers. That's what I'm going with. Happy happy 57th birthday to Gary Pierman. Happy birthday to Camry Bunce. Boots, bunts, bunts, buts. I covered my bases. Happy birthday to Easton. Boots, bunts, buts. <laughs> that one of those has to be right. Happy birthday to Heath Sullivan, and happy birthday to Catherine Boron. Boron. It's one of those. Nailed it. We Boron. were. <laughs> this is why people listen to this podcast I just for it. that. Right there. All right, let's let's talk about OU's 2023 recruiting class with one of the best in the business, Josh McQuistian. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, let's talk some crouton with Josh McQuiston. It is our pleasure to be joined by the unquestioned 
brains of the operation over at Soonerscoop.com. Josh McQuistion is in the house. What's going on, man? Uh, not much. I'm probably going to put that on a placard somewhere. We're going to make sure Eddie, Carrie, we'll make sure everybody sees that for sure. No doubt. Now, be- before we kind of dive into individual guys and obviously the Peyton Bowen situation is very interesting. What What's this time of year like for you, man? It It is, it's chaos, man. Cause I mean, you guys know you got kids. So on top of all the work stuff with portal and recruiting, you got Christmas lights to see and all the other stuff you got to do, keep the missus happy, all that stuff. So man, it's, it's just an insane. It's one of those things though, too. It makes me like, I can't imagine what a coach's life is like, like, cause I'm, you know, it's, to, to quote the, you know, the, to Mike Leach, you know, like, the chicken or the pig the chicken's involved but the pig's committed man like i mean i'm in i'm around it but i mean to have to live it day in day out that's a whole different animal has the early signing period it was supposed to make things easier on everyone and i feel like it made it infinitely more difficult in a lot of ways i think you're right and i I, you know i was i've always been a big early signing day guy i was a believer i thought it made sense but i thought it made sense in like August, you know, the guys that you knew, you know, guys like you two, like you knew guys that want to get it out of the way before their senior year. Yeah, exactly. Like, but guys that, you know, that want to go through it. Hey, fine. No problem. They can go to February. It's no, because December to February, I mean, you're talking about basically six weeks. Like, it's not like that just took some huge pressure off your plate. And so, like I said, I'd like to see something in the preseason so the coaches can kind of know okay, they've got, we've got these numbers. We know what we've got left. And then you run it out to February like we always have, and they can focus right now instead of worrying about, you know, in-homes with recruits. They're, they're getting out in the portal. They're finding their numbers. They're doing whatever they need to do. And then in February, they can kind of fill out the ranks and, and have it go any way they want to. So I, I get how it's kind of come to this, but it feels like now that the portal is such a real thing, you're going to have to make some amendments to the, you know, the kind of the initial plan that the NCAA had. Yeah, this is uh this is the system we got for now, boys. So we'll just uh everyone involved will just have to live with it. All right. Let's start with Peyton Bowen. This is a situation that all OU fans appear to be very interested in. Uh Notre Dame fans appear to be rather worried. What's what's the latest you're hearing on this entire thing? Sure. Well, I mean the the, the most the most recent thing is Oklahoma had their final in home on Saturday night. And that was, that seemed so straightforward, but there were rumors on Friday that he was going to take an official visit to Oregon over the weekend. And that obviously would close the chance. And, you know, you guys know, cause you went through it that last in home. That's usually, especially for an uncommitted guy. That's when, you know, Brent Venables in this case is going to come in, but any head coach, they make that last pitch, that last thing. And all week, it had seemed really good for Oklahoma because you had Oregon coming on Wednesday, Notre Dame went in Thursday, and then Oklahoma really kind of had an open-ended period. They could do it Friday. They could do it Saturday. It was really loose in how they could interpret that. And then all of a sudden, it was like, he may go to visit Oregon this weekend, and that was just going to throw everything up in the air. But the fact that they got the last, that's usually a really good indicator of what a guy's doing, what he's thinking. Uh, same with official visits. You get the last one. That's usually a good um, – that's a good tell in some ways. It's not, not exact by any stretch. But um, 
I think in the end, it's come down to Peyton really wants to be at Oklahoma. That's my impression from everybody I've spoken to. That's where he's most comfortable. Obviously, he's good friends with Jackson Arnold, who I know you guys had on not long ago. Um, you know, there is the girlfriend. You know, that that's always a that's always a great chip to have in your favor. So there's a lot of connection there. I think in the end, it's gonna it's come down to his mother is very in favor of Notre Dame, and you know, we all get it. Academics, all the things that moms care about and really harp on. That that Marcus Freeman's really hit a home run with her. But I think it's as it's progressed, it's kind of become maybe she still wants Notre Dame, but she's comfortable enough with Oklahoma and feels good enough about that staff that she can kind of sign off on that. And that's what I think is going to happen Wednesday. But there does become a point where, you know, what are we all waiting on here? Like if it's as straightforward as it seems to me, it feels like it maybe should have already been done. Yeah, it feels like it. If it was straightforward, it should have already been done a long time ago, <laughs> mm-hmm. like way back in the summer. Is you know it, it at least around here, it, it hasn't felt like Notre Dame was was like a the true player for for very long. It felt like the Oklahoma was inevitable, but you know Oregon comes in, and I think we know why Oregon has such a a, a place at the table here. It's mm-hmm. nil stuff, right? So you got the Notre Dame connection with Marcus Freeman and, you know, the mother, the academics got Oklahoma for all of the reasons that, that you mentioned Um, teammates want to come here, you know, distance, easy drive up for parents to come to games. And then you've got the money situation to Oregon. Is it, is it just as simple as how do you, how do you weigh those three against each other? I think that's some of it. And I, what's interesting is kind of depending on who you talk to, there are, there are several pieces in play within his family. You know, I think there's some, you know, well, okay, this, this, you know, like maybe mom likes Notre Dame, dad feels differently. And then it feels like Oklahoma could be the safe middle, you know, because I, I think that could be, cause that's again, I Peyton, I think he's going to get to make his choice. There's certainly some kids I cover when, dad is so over the top or mom or whoever it may be. You're like, it doesn't matter. He's going to go wherever dad tells him to, or wherever mom tells him to, or whatever the, you know, whoever the family, you know, kind of leader is. I think Peyton gets to make this choice. And that's why I think it'll come out for Oklahoma, but it does feel like there is some kind of pushing and pulling. And I think that's maybe why it has seemed so chaotic at times where, like you said, Teddy, where it seems you know, there's been multiple times when it seemed like, okay, this is the weekend. He came in for Bedlam and everything went so well that weekend. And you kind of thought, okay, here we go. This is this is going to be the time it all pops. And then it just doesn't. And you, you just kind of wonder about that. And again, because it would be one thing if Oklahoma was the uncomfortable choice or, you know, something where he's doing, you know, something that's going to upset a lot of people. Most of the people around him that are, you know, like I said, girlfriend, you know, good buddy Jackson Arnold, all these people are going to be so enthusiastic about it, but it's just got to, at some point, the rubber has to meet the road. And now, you know, as we sit here and talk, I mean, we're, what, 72 hours away from kind of that moment. So that seems like the the top decision that a lot of people are waiting to see on Wednesday. Josh, are there any other big time prospects that are that OU's in play for that are going to make decisions on Wednesday? Well, the ones that we don't know, uh, you know, Peyton's, and I want to give him some credit. 
lot of guys that are in his scenario, they don't talk much. They won't deal with anybody. Like, they don't really let you know what's going on. They kind of shut down. He's not been that way. And I, from a guy in my position, you kind of have to shout those guys out because, you know, rubbing, uh, just trying to find any little dirt you can find anywhere is sometimes brutal on these guys that just don't want to communicate. Um, the other guy that I think most people will be watching is Tassili Akana, the big linebacker from Utah. Uh, really interesting guy. You know, he's kind of one of those guys, um, I've said it before, it's kind of like when you talk about um, – I, I said the same thing about Desan McCullough. It's really about how creative your defensive, you know, coordinator, you know, however you want to term that, sculptor, the guy that's actually doing the design, how creative can he be? I think Tilsilia Kana can be very good under a creative mind because he has a unique skill set. He's a guy that can put his hand down in the dirt. He could stand up. You could drop him off sometimes. He brings a lot of different stuff. And – you know, I know um, most people know it at this point, but he was one of Brent Venable's early targets. He made him a focus and really was a guy that I can't think of many guys in this class that Brent was such a spearhead for. And I, I mean, Brent's very involved. I don't want to make it sound like that, but was almost a leader in his recruitment kind of from beginning to end. And I I think Oklahoma's going to close that, but Texas is apparently making it kind of interesting down the stretch here. I know they've got some confidence. I've heard some talk of Utah as well. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting race. Now, I know people will hear Utah and think, well, he's a Utah kid. He's actually from Hawaii, moved over during COVID, um, had to deal with, you know, Hawaii wasn't going to play football. Utah was about as close as he could get to home that was playing football in 2020. So he went over there. And rather than move back to the island after it was done, he just stayed in Utah and played out his high school career. So he's kind of an interesting guy because he doesn't really have any true allegiance uh, anywhere other than I guess you can argue his sister plays volleyball at Texas. So if we want to argue the Peyton Bowen connections, we have to give you know some credit to that as well. But I think he's going to be interesting. And then a guy they had in this weekend is Marcus Strong, a big defensive lineman from Florida. Um, kind of one of those guys in Florida you see a lot where – I mean, 6'5", 260, and it's crazy that you can see a lot of guys like that in Florida, but that's just – Florida just raises monsters. Um, but he is a really athletic, really long guy. Um, and I think – I think assuming everything went to plan this week and I haven't had a chance to talk with Marcus yet, I, I would be very surprised if OU's not the choice for him. Uh, a, a couple of things here. DJ Hicks, I know there was mm -hmm. talk – for a while that maybe he was going to kind of be back in the fray a little bit after that commitment to, to Texas A&M. Um, I don't know what all's gone on there. And um, uh, Stone, is he, is he going to reclassify? Have, have you heard anything about that? There, there has been some talk of that. I think I honestly expect what David is going to do is announce he's probably just coming back to Oklahoma and we'll try to do it at semester next year and just be a midterm guy. Um, the, he's kind of like a situation we were talking about with Bowen earlier. Like I know he's wanted, he never really wanted to go to IMG. That was never really his thing. I think his mom wanted him to go out there, see what that was like, see if he took to it. And as much as he's gained from IMG, I mean, he's played some great competition, played a bunch of elite guys. I think he'd like to come back home. I've heard, I, I He's always wanted to come back to Dell City, but I've heard all sorts of schools in the area saying, oh, like, he, he may come back and play for us. So he'll be an interesting guy to watch. It's it's possible, Teddy. Um, 
but my guess is he's going to announce he's coming back. That That's kind of the rumor I've heard. Um, as far as Hicks, Oklahoma made that really interesting. Kind of the same deal with Peyton Bowen, where it just seemed like it got to a tipping point where either you're going to do it now or you're never going to do it. And it just, you know, and I know Brent went in home last week and really, you know, they Oklahoma did everything they could. I mean, like, I, I just don't think, I think A&M, you know, had a lot of things in their favor, not unlike kind of what you were referencing with Oregon and some of their abilities uh, earlier. But at the same time, it's much closer to home. His dad is now the head coach at the high school there, Katie Paytow. Um, Going to be harder for him to get up and, you know, get to Oklahoma or get to Oregon that, that Hicks is looking at as well and go see his kid play. So A&M provides some convenience as well. It's not all, you know, I know people want to make it all about one thing or another. There's multi, multiple layers to it for David Hicks. But I think in the end, he's probably going to pick A&M. And honestly, if I, if I was to say, I would guess Oregon's probably the runner-up for him at this point. Looking at the class as a whole, Josh, you've got two five-stars, right? With Jackson mm-hmm. Arnold and, and P.J. Adebare. When it comes to those two guys kind of being the pillars of this class, like how how special do you think those two guys can be, right? One quarterback, one pass rusher, exactly what you're looking for in five-star prospects. Yep, I, exactly. I mean, if you were going to pick your two positions offensively and defensively where we're going to get an elite talent, I, I think that's exactly where you start in this day and age. I mean, I know – not that long ago, you'd argued for defensive tackle, but and, and as a guy that got to see PJ in person this year, that is, uh, I mean, that's just an outstanding evaluation because back when OU offered him, he was like a three-star guy, had some good offers, but really wasn't that well-known. And then as people started going by North Kansas City and seeing him, I mean, guys, he's every bit of six four and a half, six five, long arm, long-legged. I mean, like he hasn't even started to fill out his frame yet but just an absolute freak of an athlete. I mean, he's the guy you're looking for coming off the edge. Um, And uh, I I think with him, and again, obviously Jackson Arnold, everybody's so familiar with Jackson, all he's done at Denton Geyer. Um, You know, I think what's amazing to me is you look at this, and after, you know, we're a year in now. I mean, I remember doing this with you guys a year ago, and it was all the kind of uncertainty. Oklahoma's probably going to bring in their best defensive class in 15 years, and they still got the five-star quarterback. Like, I mean, so, you know, all that, that, oh, we'll, we'll see how the quarterback situation goes. They got their guy. I mean, people can, when Jackson Arnold committed, there was a lot of, oh, is, is this guy good enough for OU? And, you know, there was a lot of talk, oh, they should have taken the Jaden Rashada kid that was very high on Jeff Levy, really liked him a lot as well. And OU, they wanted to take Arnold, and they took him, and all they did is just watch it get paid off because he's just been outstanding ever since won the Elite 11, took Denton Geyer to state semifinals. Um, and really, you know, I know people kind of look at that and say, oh, he, you know, he didn't get to finals this year. DeSoto's really, really good. I mean, you're talking about just D1 athletes. And I was talking about this the other day. You look at, okay, they have Peyton Bowen, they have Jackson Arnold. Great, that's an amazing. On that field, they have the two best players. Then the next 12 best players may be from DeSoto. So, like, people have to gauge that a little bit and understand that it's a depth situation that changes the story a little bit. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was interesting. You know, I agree. Whenever he first committed to Oklahoma, it was like, okay, 
um, good player. Let's see what happens. Then he, because he wasn't a five star at that point, right? And then mm-hmm. that's correct. Got his fifth star later on. And then the season he had with everyone, you know, especially that game on ESPN, who was that against Allen? Um, Allen, yeah. It felt like his stock had really just gone through the roof. And then I saw the reclassified or I guess regraded, whatever you call it, here within like the last week or 10 days. And he came down. How, how do you know how that happened? Like what went on there? Well, what I'm guessing you're talking about is a is a composite grade, and that's like something like you know. Obviously, I work for Rivals, but I'm I, I realize all the other networks do different stuff. Twenty four seven will do what's called a composite. It's just like an average of all the rankings, and then it averages out everybody else. So it's and it's never it's hard to it's hard to explain because not every ranking is a balance. It's not like okay, they're 100th at Rivals, and they're 24-7, they're 50, and, you know, another place. So it just comes out to the, the the average of the three. It's where do you rank in all three, and then that rank becomes the ranking. It's not like a an average score. So it, that became – God, as the guy who worked for the network was the, that was the last to get Jackson Arnold to five stars, that was not a fun conversation to have over and over again. I was <laughs> like, guys, I know where you think he is. I probably agree with you, but that's just not the way this works. And so that – and after the Elite 11, it was like white flag. I don't care. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like, it'll happen when it happens. But um, w- with Jackson, again, it, I think it was a deal where – Geyer's been so successful that it's kind of easy sometimes to pan those guys off. It's like, oh, he's just great because all that's around him or whatever that may be. I I remember watching his tape because I didn't know him because, you know, Lincoln Riley had obviously had Malachi Nelson. and I'd been to Southern California several times to see Malachi. I knew him really well. I knew the family. I didn't know Jackson Arnold from anything. Like I just had seen him play a few high school games, but he was not on my radar. And so it just became a situation where I'm trying to play catch up and I'm watching this kid and I'm like, I don't know why we've got, I think he was like 125 at the time he committed to OU, which is a great ranking. People lose sight of that. Like, I mean, that's a guy you expect to have an NFL career. I mean, and I think people kind of forget that, but at the same time, it's nowhere commensurate with what he's done. I mean, like he had a great career, incredible athlete. And I think this year people finally realized how skilled he is with his feet, like all the plays he can make on the run. And even within the offense, it's not just, oh, he play breaks down and he's going to do something. He can, you know, you can design things for him that he'll be very successful with. So again, I, I, I again, I think it's Jeff Levy making a really tough call because as I said, I think he could have had Jaden Rashada and he made the call for Jackson Arnold. And you look at all the rankings now, Jackson Arnold's ahead of Rashad, I think, unanimously across the country, and that was not the case at the time. I think he took some heat for it. Josh, over the years, uh, you and I, we have gotten the habit of getting into discussions about Oklahoma's necessity to get better at the line of scrimmage. That is a, I, I would say that is a frequent <laughs> mm-hmm. theme in, in our discussions. When you look at – let's start with the offensive line. When you look at the offensive linemen in this 2023 recruiting class, like overall, do you think Bill Bedenboe and Brent Venables are they bringing in the type of guys that will that will get this program where they need to be up front, especially with the SEC lumen? Well, 
Gabe, we had to have this conversation because Caden Green was a frequent topic of conversation for you, you and I, a couple of years ago with some of that camp stuff. But you know, Caden, you talk about a guy with the physical tools to do anything he wants to do. Caden's a special. He's a he's a truly gifted player. Um, he, you know, coming from Missouri, I think he. I wondered at the time of his commitment, or I guess at the time that it seemed like OU was going to be a a real option for him how how long it might take him because I thought he had a lot of physical development to go under, which is perfectly normal for an offensive lineman. But he was a little heavy, carried some bad weight, you know, and I didn't know how hard he'd ever really hit it in the weight room. Over the last year, he's really transformed his body. He looks much better, cut off a lot of that bad weight. Now he still needs to get stronger and all those things. I mean, I think you guys know better than me. If he needs to play next year, that's a problem. Like you don't want to be in that situation. Um, so I, I think he can be fine. I, I, like I said, I think, I'm sorry. I think he can be special. I think he needs time to get there. I don't, you don't want to run him out there too early, mess with his confidence. Like just let him grow naturally through it. One of the guys that's super interesting is Logan Howland, big guy played tight end as a junior in high school. Nobody really was identifying him. And I think it's finally his high school coach sat him down and was like, look, man, you can be a 6-7, 270-pound tight end playing for Hofstra if you want to, or you can maybe think about moving to tackle. And I think within weeks he got his first FBS offer, and it just took off. I mean, you know, you look at his offer list, Iowa, Miami. I mean, Mario Cristobal, say what you want about Miami. Mario Cristobal knows what he's looking at. And uh, obviously Oklahoma as well. Those were really his three finalists. If you tell me that for an offensive lineman, I mean, Gabe, again, you know better than me. That's a really good stamp of approval on a guy. So I like what he brings, but very raw. I mean, people have to understand he's going to need time. Uh, kind of, you know, this is something we saw, and Gabe, obviously with you being a good example, but so many guys that were high school tight ends going all the way back to like Frank Romero in the early 2000s, you know, a lot of a lot of those kind of guys. And it's something OU's had success with, not something they've done as much as of late, but I'm really interested to see where it goes. And then Joshua Bates, Bill Biedenboe could offer about any center in the country, and he identified Joshua Bates very early on, made him a focus, and, you know, in a state that Oklahoma doesn't really recruit much anymore in Colorado, really, again, just kind of showered him with attention, made it known, you're my guy, you're the one I want. Josh commits, is the one guy that stands out from the the previous staff as far as stuck with it the whole time, never deviated, and, you know, now is is – about ready to enroll, you know, graduated this weekend. So he is a big, sturdy guy, really, you know, kind of a big, powerful center. Um, Going to be interesting to see how they use him, if they, if it's at all different, where I think we've gotten so used to Oklahoma. I mean, and I don't want to present him as not athletic, but he's more of a big-bodied guy than I think we've seen sometimes at center. So that'll be kind of interesting to watch how that plays. And then Heath Ozida, um, kid, you know, from Washington, uh, really wasn't well-known. Within like two weeks of being offered, he was a guy that most guys like me just hadn't heard any connection with Oklahoma about. But another guy, Stanford was involved with him, uh, had some good, you know, you look at it. And I, I had actually had a chance to go see him uh, this this season. And he's, there's a lot of work there to be done. He's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger, but he's got a nice frame. He's got good feet. It's just one of those things where if he'll buy in and work over amount of years, I don't see any way he, you know, there's no reason he shouldn't be able to be a starter in the near future. So this group can make them better. 
I think Howland and Green are clearly the upside guys where they can take it the farthest. And obviously, with those guys having the length and size to play tackle, that's not a bad problem to have if that's where your real talent is. Yeah, and and just kind of building on that line of scrimmage theme, how about the defensive line group? It's it seems like there's there's more link there and like height and size and and real. I guess maybe versatility than we've seen perhaps, but. How does this the defensive line group that we have right now stack up to to years past? You know, it's so funny because you bring that up and you're right. I mean, you look at the ends, you know, with PJ Adabare, who I've talked about that I think is just probably if I was going to bet on one one guy in this class being a top ten pick someday, he'd be my bet. Like I, I think PJ Adabare is special. Uh, Derek LeBlanc, big, really interesting body type guy, real. Um, so long-armed and long-legged and kind of short torso. Like, you don't see stuff like that very long, but still very big in the lower body. Uh, Going to be really interesting to see what Todd Bates does with him along the line as far as kind of where they start him out at, what they see him, what kind of weight they see him putting on because he's 265 pounds and looks skinny. I mean, like, he has a lot of room to grow in a lot of different directions. Um, And then, you know, Taylor Wine, the guy they took late from Tennessee – really blew up as a senior. And I talked to Taylor guy. I mean, at the time Oklahoma offered him, I think his best offer was like uh, FCS. Like he, he really didn't have anything big at that point in time. And then USC comes in long. I mean, Kentucky came along. There was a lot of interest late in him. And I think, you know, just talking to him, he just talked about, you know, kind of getting into the weight room, putting some good weight on really muscled up and worked on his first step, just being a more explosive. And, uh, you know, you look at all those guys. They're all 6'4", six, 6'5", six six, long arm. And then you have Aston Sanders, that defensive tackle coming from Los Angeles, just a squat, real, you know, powerfully built guy, going to come inside. Really great feet, though. I mean, he's a guy that you could see being a very skilled pass rusher on the inside. And, again, it's just kind of what they do with them. And, and guys, and let's be honest, in years past, you'd wonder how that works, you know, can – can they be creative enough to find some ways to make all this work under Brent Venables? You're like, I don't think that's going to be the problem. Like it's just getting these guys on the field, getting them experienced and comfortable. And then he'll draw something up to get these guys loose and making plays up front. So uh, I I think, I I think this, again, like I said earlier, this defensive line is a big part of why I say, I think this is the best class defensively OU signed probably since 2008. Um, And, you throw in Peyton Bowen, if you can add that little P you throw in Bowen, Akana and the Marcus strong kid that I, that I was talking about earlier. That's another, you know, kind of high ceiling guy. That's, that's just monstrous. I mean, that, that can change your roster in a couple of years and you start, you go into the sec, whether it's 24 or 25, you start looking more like an sec roster. You've got those big nasties up front that can really do some things for you. I'm interested in what you think about these wide receivers. Right. I, I've heard a lot about Petaway for a while now and, you know, not quite as much about Keon Brown, but I think late in the season, um, it became rather obvious that like we, the OU's got to get more explosive at wide receiver. Yep. Are are these guys potential like big time difference makers, you think? <laughs> yeah. Pet, Petaway, if you're talking about explosion, I mean, he is a, he's got Marvin Mims kind of ability to stretch. I mean, he really does. Um, I go and see him and he plays in, um, you know, the Cypress ISD up in North Houston. 
And it's, I, I won't pretend it's a great district. It's not, but there's plenty of good athletes in it. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can really run. And I go and see him this fall, and the first quarter just sleepy, man. He doesn't get much. There's nothing happening. All of a sudden, they punt, or his, his defense forces a punt, gets the ball at the 11. First play, they just run a post pattern for him, and he goes 89 yards, just outruns everybody. I mean, it, it was kind of one of those things where, like, as soon as he caught the ball, you knew. I mean, there, there was nobody running with him. And that's what he's done his whole high school career. I mean, he, you know, he's a Jeff Levy kind of guy. He wants to get vertical. Uh, OU fans should love him because basically he went to Austin and everybody thought he was going to go to Texas, came home, and all you heard was he's not going to Texas. He didn't like that visit at all. And so I'm like, OU fans are just going to love that dude. I mean, he he came in right off. And even, you know, with the with the Kale Gundy situation, and then obviously through some of the hiccups of this season he was always like, what are you guys talking about? I'm fine. I'm solid. I'm going to OU. I'm going to help fix this. You know, I want to be a big play guy. And he knows, I mean, he knows that opportunity's there for him. Cause like you guys said, by the end of the year, there were about, you know, three receivers really getting heavy snaps. And then Theo Weiss kind of mixed in who we all know is now gone. So, I mean, there's, there's availability there to make plays. And I, I think he is tailor made for it. Keon Brown is, I don't know if a wide receiver can ever be your first off the bus guy, but like, I mean, he is that kind of dude, just a six two, two Oh five. And I, I won't pretend I didn't know his name. I didn't know he was coming to OU's camp and we watch that stuff pretty closely, but there's always a few that sneak in and he shows up and you were just like, I don't know who that guy is, but I want to watch him do something. And immediately he just starts taking on some DBs and we're talking guys that had, offers from SEC schools, Pac-12 schools, good players, and he's just cooking them. I mean, just running past them, and he's, again, like I said, at 6'2", he's got great feet, uh, had a game early in the year where I think he had almost 300 yards receiving and four touchdowns. I mean, he is, and, you know, you're talking Florida, so it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing, you're playing athletes. And um, he is, I, I think, probably and I know sometimes this term comes off bad he's a very boomer bust guy like I think he could be a guy that gets it immediately and all the you know oh you got a huge steal here or he's a guy that you wonder like maybe this is why he was able to get they were able to get him out of Florida you know I I've dealt with Keon I've never gotten a you know any reason for obvious concern but it just shocks me that I mean a kid from Tallahassee that they just went and took and you're just kind of like how does that happen and had an offer from Alabama and picked Oklahoma. And kind of like I said with Petaway, never seemed to waver, never seemed to be off about his decision. So, I, I like I said, I think the receiver room, while you would like probably one more, I, I'm sure the staff feels the same way. The two they got are absolutely capable of helping this team and maybe as soon as next year. One of the things that I think is really interesting, and, and sometimes this it plays out like this, um, Often, but I look at the when I look at the class as a whole, I, some of my favorite guys, like the three lowest ranked guys in the entire class, Taylor Wine, Cade McIntyre, and Eric McCarty, I think may be some of the guys that end up being the best actual players out of the entire class. Is do you see that the same? Like I see the. Even though they're three-star guys, I feel like there's a ton of value. Like even uh, Pachati as a as a three-star guy, I think some of these three stars we got are way undervalued right now. I I absolutely think there's some of that. Like you know, and I've heard you guys reference it a little bit. 
I'll I'm gonna be real interested to see if Joe John Finley can hate on, hang on to Cade McIntyre. Like that's a big, long, athletic dude. Um, you know, Eddie, our our guy Eddie, that you know, obviously you both know well, uh, was uh, went to Omaha to cover the baseball team, and we had him stop by and see Cade, and he was like Eddie's interview. You're like, God, that kid's big. Like you could tell, you know, it, it, and it's one of those things. And also. Just Eddie talking to him and talking to his family. I mean, he's an unbelievable kid. Like, he really is a guy. He's going to buy in from day one. Uh, I don't know if everybody saw the pictures of the in-home. Dad looks like he probably could use some eligibility. He could still play for him. Dad, he's a monster. Dad Dad knows where the weight room's at. <laughs> That's Wait, I, need, one, right? I, need, I need Dad's supplement routine also. I, I need to know. <laughs> I need some help. Whatever he's on, I want it. Doesn't his the, uh, family own a gym or something? Isn't that what his dad I, does? I believe that's right. There, there's some real connection to it, and I can't remember what the entire storyline is, but it's absolutely something like that. Um, as far as the, your question, though, the guy I really like that I, I kind of am shocked doesn't get more love is Kendall Dolby, the the DB from NEO. I think that dude, I, it's kind of like, it's like, I don't know how he doesn't get on the field next year. You watch him play corner, safety, there he he's coming for somebody's job like i mean he's that kind of guy now he's he's a kid that gets it i mean he's not like a you know oh I, he he would never say the sentence i just said but like he is absolutely geared the right way i like everything about him i like his attitude and just again you watch him it, whether it's coming up and playing run he's violent he can drop off in coverage he's very good with the ball in the air you know you see those guys sometimes you're like well, he's got to be a corner because, you know, if he's not engaged in the play, he'll he'll kind of fade. But he could play safety if that's what they need him to do. I think he's very good with the ball in the air. He's natural. Um, so there's a lot that I like there. Um, I, and I've just kind of been surprised he hasn't gotten a little more notoriety. I mentioned Ashton Sanders. I like him a lot. I think he's super active. You love those, especially in this day and age. And, you again, I hate to always go back to it, but you guys know better than I do. If you can get some pressure inside – just changes the game. I mean, it makes it so difficult to run what a lot of these offenses want to do. And uh, Teddy, you mentioned Eric McCarty. Eric McCarty is one of my all-time painstaking situations. He is a guy, talked to the old staff and was, you know, and was checking with some people like, hey, do I need to go see him play in the state title game last year? Nah, I don't think he's going to be a fit. Like he just wasn't seen as a target for them. And so I didn't go just, just thought, well, there's no reason for me to drive seven hours from Houston to see a kid. OU's not that serious about coaching change happens like a week later. Well, then I go to see Eric in the spring. He's injured in the spring. Can't play. Was going to go see him twice this year. And I mean, McAllister, I don't want to make it sound like he's injury prone. McAllister rode that kid hard and he just kind of kept getting ankles and knees and he just kind of get, kept getting nicked up. And so I tried to see him three times this year and every single time I did, he just wasn't good to go. And so he's probably the only Oklahoma high school guy I haven't that committed to OU that I haven't seen in person probably since your class, Teddy. Like, I mean, like it goes that, you know, so like it goes back a ways and it's just a shame that I'll probably never get rid of. But uh, you watch the kid play. I mean, I don't care. It's kind of like, you know, it's what you said. Like if I'm going to bet on who's the best, you know, the, the top 10 guy, I'll take PJ Atabari. But if I had to say this guy is going to be a good football player and it's going to make your team better, Eric McCarty, and I would also say Lewis Carter, the kid out of Tampa that they've got committed. Lewis Carter that's, is a freaking football a player. That's, that's a monster. Yep. So I, I love both those guys. 
I don't know how you get them both on the field because they're kind of uniquely skilled or they're kind of similarly skilled, but that's a good problem to have. I mean, if, if you're subbing those guys in and out and they're rotating, fine. But they are uh, – I, I saw Lewis in a high school game. I got to go watch him play. He had like six touchdowns, had a forced fumble, like 13 tackles. Like, I mean, and that was basically in three quarters of play because they just ran out the clock in the fourth. I mean, he just murdered people. It was impressive. Josh, I'm always rooting uh, for the Oklahoma guys to do well, right? Mm -hmm. So when I see the kid from Mustang, like that looks like an athlete, man. Where do you where do you think Jacoby Johnson's going to play? Like, have you heard anything? He's kind of like what I was talking about, like where I think his skill set is probably best at safety. You look at the frame, you look at the size. I think he's better at corner though. Like I think he looks better. When I'm trailing a man, I'm on somebody's inside hip. I think it's safety. Sometimes he float, you know, like, and you don't see him in that lot, but when they drop him off in zone at Mustang, he looked like he'd get lost a little bit. And I don't know if that's just he needs a challenge, you know, facing because I mean Jacoby Johnson's a freak of an athlete. I mean, he's one of those guys where as a high school player, there's plenty of guys in his class that are probably especially at the position they will play. Jacoby's a great receiver right now, puts up huge numbers for Mustang. I don't mean to put that down at all. He is a especially gifted guy. As a DB, nobody challenges him. Nobody goes to his side of the field. They no. I mean, and I get it. I wouldn't either if I was an offensive coordinator. But he's got so much that you just don't know. Like, maybe he's great at these things, but you don't get to see it very often because everybody's known who he was since he was a sophomore because OU offered him coming out of his freshman year. So he was he kind of had a target on his back at such an early age. And then, you know, as a junior really took off as a receiver and everybody was like, oh, he really is a great athlete. Um, But Gabe, you're not wrong. I mean, and this isn't one of those guys where he's going to shrink once he gets on OU's roster. He is 6'2", he's 200 pounds, he can run for days. He's a great basketball player as well. So, you know, he's got feet and he can move and he can mirror and do some of those things. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be... To me, I, I've said it all along with Jacoby. If he wants to be great, Jacoby can be special. I mean, like he has that kind of skill set, that ability. It's just a matter of, you know, and I've heard, you know, I, I am a Oklahoma breakdown listener. So, you know, I'll, I'll own that completely. But You're I've heard the you one. guys talk about yes. it. <laughs> the, the, you know, the difference between being a basketball guy and a football guy, it's different. It's not the same thing. It's not the same mentality. And I think at times Jacoby has a little bit of a basketball mentality. And if he can shake that and be a football guy and we're going to stick our nose in and do the things we got to do to be good, he can be great. I mean, he can be an NFL guy. It's just a matter of can he buy into that. Excellent stuff. Last thing I've really got is what's cooking in the portal. I know everyone knows about like the the major three guys that, you know, Stogner, um, the kid from Notre Dame, D lineman, and then obviously McCullough from, from Indiana. What else is, uh, what else are you seeing out there? What's cooking? Well, Teddy, once I'm done, I think I want to just have you talk about McCullough for a while. Cause I think <laughs> you might be the only person more excited about him than I am. I think that's, I, a I dude, can't wait. Man. He's a stud, man. Yeah. yeah. He's a monster. I saw him and he uh, back during COVID. I saw him at a camp in Southern Oklahoma. He was in Idabel, Oklahoma of all places on earth. And yeah, it was like the only camp in the country that was happening. So just, I mean, guys came in from all over and he and day were both there and you were just like, I don't know what you're going to be yet, but you are a freak. Like I, I, I want you as part of whatever roster I'm involved with. So, um, 
But yeah, you know, as far as the portal, they had a couple of guys in this weekend. Um, Trey Harris was in a uh, big receiver from law tech that I think is really one of their focuses early on here in the portal. I've been told that's about, he's about as high on him as any receiver in the portal right now. So that's a guy they really like, and you bring him in this weekend. I, I think that's a really good indicator because he can't go anywhere else. He's not going to be able to take any more visits for a couple of weeks. OU kind of has that last thought in his head. And if he's planning to enroll at semester, which I'm almost certain he is, then he's got to make, you know, uh, you got to start planning for moves. You got to get all that in place. You would think that's a pretty good indicator of where he's at. The other guy that came in is a guy I know you two are familiar with, Caden Prather from West Virginia came in. So a uh, big, long, athletic guy, a lot there to like, um, you know, kind of faded in and out from games at times with West Virginia, but there's a lot of skill there to like. And a guy that knows Jalil Farouk goes back. He's one of those DMV guys. And um, I I think those two could be guys they land. And then you kind of see where it goes. Some off, I, I kind of keep waiting for an offensive lineman to come in. Uh, the Jeremiah Byers kid I like a lot. Um, and uh, the, the recent offer who I'm going to forget, the kid from Tulsa, the, uh, oh, he's from Austin. Uh, of course, I can just go blank on his name right at this moment. But, you know, they are, I feel like it's been a little more controlled. There's a more clear idea of what they're trying to get out of the portal as to where last year, I mean, you guys know they were, it, they had to fill that roster. The, the, it just wasn't where it needed to be. And I think with this recruiting class and as well as it looks like they're going to close, they don't have the same amount of holes. So they can focus more heavily on eight to 12 guys rather than we got to recruit 30 guys and hope we get 15 and they're the right 15. So that is, I, I think it's going very well for them. Like I said, you get McCullough, you get an experienced guy on the inside, like Jacob Lacey that you mentioned. Um, and then, you know, you throw in Austin Stogner just to give that tight end room just some stability, some experience. It feels like they're filling holes, but they're doing it in the right way where you're getting guys that address your needs rather than just this is a guy who can play the position at practice. Yeah. And uh, don't worry, I'll make sure and send a formal apology to Dylan Wade's family for you for forgetting his name. <laughs> That's <laughs> I was like, it's Wade or where I kept I uh, that happened. There's way once. too much going on, man. You're you're oh. it's it's you're fine. You're absolutely fine. Josh, you're the man. Uh you guys do a great job over there at Sooner Scoop, staying on top of all this, man. It is it's must view stuff. For any OU fan, go subscribe, people, Soonerscoop.com. Appreciate it, guys. That man's got a lot going on right now. Busy time of the year. That's good, though. Get it knocked out right around Christmas, and then hopefully you could cruise a little bit after the holidays. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first... It's football time in Oklahoma, people, and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. And they're not just for tailgating either. They're perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is out. They've got some new flavors in there. They've got a new can as well. Find a place near you that has clubbies. Visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention business owners. 
You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing and orders on a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? Uh, I had to go with Purdue. They're getting Drew Brees in. They've had a shakeup. Jeff Brom is out. Ryan Walters is in. Ryan Walters, um, you'll spend a little time here at Oklahoma. Brief pit stop. Um, I think he was the DB coach at Colorado before that. Um, you know, he's young, but he's got a lot of experience. He's been he's 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 been coaching on the defensive side for quite some time with a lot of responsibility. It was D.C., that Illinois job, uh, with a nice turnaround there. But uh, with Brom out, Walters, uh, you know, not yet able to, to come in and take over everything. They're in need of some help there. And Drew Brees to the rescue. And I think it's really cool that he's, he's an actual assistant. Like He can recruit. He can coach the players. He can be on the field with them. Um, I think it's awesome, and I'm curious to see like if this ignites something with him in in coaching, and if it's something that he's going to want to continue. Yeah, I and I was not teammates with him for long, but my, my last stop in the NFL in what 2017 and early 2018 was with the Saints, and I've never been around a better leader in the locker room in my life. I mean, he was, he had complete control of a group of 53 grown ass men. When he spoke, everyone listened. Yeah. And it never made sense. The broadcasting thing never made sense to me, even though he is kind of funny. Like he's, he's fun guy to be around, but I always thought he'd get immediately into coaching. So I was, I was really excited when when this came down because I think he could be a great coach and I think he's the type of guy that the coaching profession needs man and I know he's made a gajillion dollars playing but tell you right now like he he's going to be an awesome coach and it's not just because he's Drew Brees it's because his knowledge of the game I have to imagine Aiden O'Connell who opted out of their bowl game is like oh no damn it yeah, I could have gotten coached by Drew Brees for a couple of weeks. You think that would have been valuable, Aiden? It would have been awesome. Uh, yeah, just to get some some real world like NFL style coaching um, from from one of the best ever. That you know, I think one of the reasons he's as good as like what you were talking about is because he had some physical limitations. Not the biggest guy, not the strongest arm. So he had to make up for a lot of those, um, you know, th- those those maybe inadequacies by 
being ahead of the game mentally and really honing in on his accuracy ended up being just an incredibly accurate quarterback. So like that perspective I think is, is really cool. Now here's the thing. It is, it, it's, it's always harder. I guess I shouldn't say always harder. It's not always just as smooth of a transition to try and get people to do things the way that you did it. Right. And that you know how to do it. And, maybe to to be able to explain it to guys in a way that they're they're able to relate and and carry that out onto the field. So I know he's an incredibly smart guy. We'll see how that works, but you know, that's that's kind of the challenge. There's really not there's there's more really good coaches that weren't great players than there are the the obviously the flip side of that. Story time real quick. Okay. My first day in New Orleans, uh, land, get, you get your physical, right? You get a, you know, okay to practice. I think it was a Friday. In Friday season? practice. Yeah. In season, like late yeah. in the season, like okay. December and go through the fast Friday practice. Okay. I just, I got nothing to do. Wife's not there yet. And I've just, so I'm getting a workout in after practice. Drew Brees in the weight room, getting after it. I'm like, okay, yeah, dude's getting after it. Nice. Friday. He then proceeds to go in the indoor and run through the entire call sheet for Sunday in his head. By himself he's, making, he's calling every play. He's, like, making checks at the line, like, all of it by himself in the indoor. Like, he doesn't think anyone's watching. I'm, like, the only person there. And I'm assuming he did this every Friday. I think it was a Friday. But he's going through the entire call sheet, runs, passes. And as he's going through the passes, like he's pointing where he's going to throw the ball. I'd never seen any shit like in my life. And it was at that moment. It took me. I had been there for less than 24 hours. I was like, oh, (laughs) that's why he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Got it. He's insane. So you talk about preparation and just attention to detail. I had never seen anything like that. He was going through it all like handoffs. Like, Hey, we're running zone to the right. He's calling it. He's sending guys in motion. He's handing it off. It's like, what is happening out there? And I just, I just sat there and watched for forever. Like just lurking like a weirdo. That's awesome. That's cool. I used to do a very similar thing, but it was in the film room. Um, you know, his defense, you're reacting to stuff like you can't necessarily call the play. Right. So you just, you put it on the film, you stand up in the film room, feel like an idiot at first, but as the film rolls for a full game, you make the checks, you make the call off the call sheet and whatever adjustments you need to make and verbalize and communicate, you do it right there, uh, in as live action as you can get following the film. And I think it's, I think it is the best way to prepare for a football game. Yeah. No, and now you see like the virtual reality goggles and like some of that, like some of that technology has really grown. But yeah, I I'll say this. Whoever's playing quarterback for Purdue in that game, they're gonna be prepared. <laughs> gonna be prepared, perhaps. Gonna be very prepared. prepared. <laughs> That's awesome. Gonna be very prepared. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? I had to go with 
the United States Congress. Okay. Follow me here. Talking politics, just We're like talking, we always do. Talking politics. In 2019, at the time, President Trump pushed through a rule that allowed athletes at military academies to apply for a waiver which could delay their active service requirement to where they could pursue professional opportunities in their sport. Okay? Um, that got pushed through in 2019. Well, now, last Thursday, lawmakers revoked this rule whenever they passed the National Defense Authorization Act, Section 553 of that um, eliminates that. And they can no longer do that. And it's it's passed through Congress and set to hit the president's desk for signing soon. And wouldn't you just know that right now, a guy that opted in because of that rule, opted into playing this season at Army, had the chance to leave early, could have left early and gone to the NFL draft. Andre Carter is a first-round talent set to be the first first-round drafted player from Army since 1947. And I hate that he's being punished for doing all of the things that we want from these type of players. He was committed to this team. He wanted to, to graduate, wanted to see everything through, wanted to play his final year, did so, had an unbelievable year, um, set to be a first-round pick by uh, most people out there, and now it looks like he's not going to be able to do that unless something happens and – I don't I don't know that it will. So I think that is just beyond frustrating. I I'm with you and I actually kind of went down a rabbit hole with this story the other day. So it was it was introduced by a Recu uh, Republican congressman from Wisconsin. Which I thought was interesting just right off the bat, right? But they've received quite a bit of backlash for this yeah. because of Andre Carter. Right. Because, you know, you're talking what late million first, bucks at least. Yeah. You're talking late first, early second round, like you're, you're life altering money, like life altering money. And it does sound like they are working. First of all, I don't know who wants this rule. Like whether nobody. you're a Republican or a Democrat who like, nobody who wants this rule. Nobody. Right, like if if a guy signs up for one of the academies and ends up being a badass player, does anyone like maybe I'm just not thinking, maybe I'm missing something. I guess one of the thought processes is like, well, you're taking a spot from another guy that could have ended up serving the country. But what do we love more as a country than the National Football League? Well, this is it, it the reason it's dumb is because like a guy like this is like, this is a great beacon for the army 
to to get behind with the proper like if you manage the situation properly like this is a great way to still get really good talented people into the service academies to where you know it's something that they wanted to pursue but this athletics thing has really taken off for them like that's that's like the best marketing that you could have is that hey we're going to bring you along but if you've got an amazing opportunity like this, yeah, obviously we're going to help you pursue that. Like, because, like I said, this is a first round. This would be the first first round drafted player from Army since 1947. So we're not talking about this being like an every year type of situation. And like, there's this massive number of guys being robbed from the United States Army to go play in the NFL. It is like. A, a one, two, three type of thing every every couple of years. So it's ridiculous that anyone would would really grab a hold of the previous um, language and feel like it's such a bad deal for the Army that they've really got to make a, a point to change it in this next uh, National Defense Authorization Act. It's dumb. So Gallagher, the congressman from Wisconsin, Obviously, they received a lot of blowback, and he said that they are, quote, I will be working with my colleagues to identify a legislative fix that addresses this issue by grandfathering in existing athletes into the current system. Now, you and I agreed, like, why do you need this rule? This yeah. is the this is one of the things that frustrates me, and, you know, I. I don't think that one of the criteria for what we want, like the the men going into the service academies, right? The people that are going to end up leading this country, protecting this country. I don't think we want one of the criteria to be, hey, man, we don't want you to be too athletic. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, it's this should be a great opportunity for you, not an a horribly like like this is just the worst publicity you could get it makes them look awful it makes it look like you're just looping these guys in and you're going to miss out on really good talent potentially because of it yeah and just so people understand Andre Carter is number 22 on Mel Kuyper's big board right now absolute stud linebacker he's like uh six seven two sixty yeah, edge like outside backer. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that and from everything I read about it, like he's incredibly frustrated. Like yeah. the uncertainty of what the future does or does not look like for him. Like I kind of sounds like he's freaking out a little bit. And it's completely understandable. Yeah, I think it, it will it's end up possibly like fifteen million dollars, twenty million dollars gone. And and the thing is, it's, it's after two years, right? When you're at an academy and you have to make that decision. I forget what they call it, but it's yeah. basically like, hey, are you all in or are you not? And mm -hmm. they give them like, hey, here's your option. And with what the current rule was where they said, hey, you can go play. Like he said, I'm in, baby. Yeah. And now they just change it on it. So I, I think it'll end up being okay for him. I still don't like the rule overall, but it's so dumb that they like there should be that should be the blanket rule right 
that when you're in and you're you're signed up, you're in. That's a blanket rule. But there has to be some type of board or whatever that has the ability for a unique case to give an out. It's just it's it's stupid not to you hurt the talent that you can potentially bring in. This should be this should be a fantastic marketing opportunity for Army. Instead, instead, it's a disaster. And it seems like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't it know did. about you, but I've never heard. I haven't heard of many people being like, "It's ridiculous that guys at Army, Navy, Air Force can go play in the NFL." I've never got to put a stop to this. Of of all the things that we have going on, the fact that this would all of a sudden come up to be a priority, which, by the way, the way they crammed through this whole bill, like we don't need to get into that. It's a it's a travesty the way our uh, our government operates at times, but it's just dumb that this is something that someone really felt the need to dig in on. Someone needs to ask the guy from Wisconsin, like, what's your deal, man? What? Who who wanted like who wanted this? He was understand. committed to Wisconsin and flipped to Army late. Oh, this all goes back to, this all goes back to a recruiting battle, huh? I'm joking, but God, could you imagine if that was the case? <laughs> He's like, I got him back. Played the long game, got him back. No, I I I think he'll end up being fine, but I think that's a rule that no one asked for I, I it's confusing let's move on and that's that's as political as we get on here trying to get a guy from army to be able to go play in the nfl look at us go all right let's move on but first first fidelity bank is a full service financial institution based in oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs checking accounts saving accounts home loans and much more they do it all Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, let's talk some World Cup, man. That game was amazing. I mean, I may never watch soccer again. It's not going to get any better than that. Yeah, I 
I came in right at the right time because I it was on and I was just kind of in and out, uh, doing some stuff outside. Came in, took a break, and the fireworks started, baby. That was that was incredibly intense. To me, that is peak soccer. I don't know that it can get any better than that. I I'm with you, and it, there is, and it's not just soccer; it's in all sports. One of my favorite things is when the stars of the sport deliver on the biggest stage. Yep, and that's exactly what we got from Messi and Mbappe in that game. And, and you you probably didn't get to watch much of the first half if you were doing work. Right. Argentina dominated the first half. It, they dominated like the first 80 minutes or so. I mean, and they undoubtedly looked like the better team. Uh, now the the penalty, yeah, did the Di Maria guy maybe trip himself? Yeah, but they were still dominating. But Messi ends up burying that, you know, with, the, with them getting the penalty. The sequence of passes that led to the Di Maria goal was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I was like, oh my God, that when, the, when people call it the beautiful game, totally get it. Totally get it. When you watch something like that, I mean, they just look so much better than France for the majority. And then it all changed, man. France fouled life with, with the penalty. And that was something that guy from Argentina didn't need to grab him the way that he did, but Mbappe buries the penalty. And then like a minute later hits, I think they, do they call it like a volley when he kicks yeah. it out of the air? Yeah. Dude. That was sick. And all of a sudden you blink it. It's like two, two. It was. And the party was just getting started at that point, man. Yeah. That's, that's just the, that was, that was the appetizer because after that, like the extended time was like, it was, you know, it was slow and cautious for a time, but after Argentina scored, I, that was a shootout. I mean, there was guys ripping balls from all over the place, shots on goal. Um, you know, the the handball there in the in the box that got the the penalty kick was crazy. But there were so many things. The save late is the kick like, save. Oh my god, that was incredible. I could not believe that he got that. That was that was nuts. And that Flying scissor kick, whatever that was on that one ball that came bouncing out. I don't know how the, that guy got on top of that ball, but it was headed out. It's just everything. It was crazy. That was that was awesome. There was there was part of me right because Messi scores an extra time, right? And there's there was part of me that was first of all a dumb thought on that. I did not realize how important the ball actually hitting the net was for me to like react to a goal and get excited. But that French dude that was for whatever reason, he's like three yards into the goal. Right. It, like the ball's clearly crossed the line, but he's inexplicably just like standing deep in the goal. And he robbed us all of the moment of Messi putting it in the back of the net. It's like he scored, but I was, yep. my body didn't know what to do. I didn't realize my emotional reaction and my response was so attached to the ball, actually hitting the physical net. Yeah. Yep. It's. I don't know, it was I'm weird. To... I like, I like yeah. froze. I was like, ah, 
I didn't know well, what to I do. I thought they I thought he was clearly offsides. Now they reviewed like the the later part of it, but I thought the attack right before that that they were offsides by like a long shot, but they never went back and talked about that one and I and I hadn't seen it. Maybe there's an explanation why they don't. But yeah, the only thing I could think of is maybe that guy was in such a panic to get back and help and get on the line to help the goalie that his momentum carried him back across the line. But I was kind of thinking the same thing. It's like, it's kind of a weird spot to be in, you know, but <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's right. what my reaction. I was like, what's that guy doing? But, yeah, but it, it was a scramble as time was ticking down scramble. It was oh awesome. my gosh. And back and forth, both sides, the, the messy goal that I, I had that moment where I was like, ah, oh, golden goals better. Like, if he scores right there, I mean, what a moment. He wins the World Cup for Argentina. Like, it would have been crazy, but then we would have been robbed of all the drama that happened afterward where I was like, no, they're definitely doing it the right way. Like, that was just – that was really the beginning of the excitement, which is crazy. Because I told my wife, I was like, well, Argentina won it. And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I mean, they got the goal. They're just going to play super cautious, going to be really hard to score on them. Little did I know that we had like a, a shooting gallery coming up. It was insane. Yeah. Now Mbappe with the other penalty, we end up in penalty kicks. We've already had the penalty kicks conversation. We are both big fans of the drama and the suspense. And that Argentina's goalie, man, that dude's got some swag now. His celebrations were incredible. Yeah. He, he was amazing. That one save that he had during the PKs was awesome. It hit him right in the, like the chest and chin area. He almost got a couple more of them, man. That's it's shocking. Like how fast that ball's coming, how close you are to it. Like you've got to make a move and he's still like reacting with his feet whenever he's wrong. It was, it was impressive. Yeah. That, uh, that was fun to watch. Now, ultimately I think the right team won. Yeah. Right, you know, with how much Argentina dominated the vast majority of of regulation, but it was cool seeing Messi win it. Man, I I don't watch a lot of soccer, but he's one of the few soccer players I do know, and it seems like this is you know, we we talk about legacy quite a bit on here. That was that was big for his legacy. That was like the only thing he hadn't checked off, right? It, no doubt. And he's got it now. And, you know, obviously I do not have a, a a big depth of knowledge when it comes to soccer and World Cup finals, but it's got to be one of the best ever. And to win it in that fashion is is something. That's impressive. That's cool. I, I was talking to my wife about it. That is undoubtedly the best soccer match of my lifetime. Yeah. I've never, I've never been watching soccer and felt like that. Now you feel a certain way with like, uh, United States women's national team. Like when they're in the world cup final or something, you're nervous, but it was, I mean, I didn't care who won at all that. And I was into it, man, like into it. Same. And you know, soccer is typically, maybe I shouldn't say typically, but a lot of the times there's like one or two big moments stretched out throughout a really long game. And so it ends up not 
like the game doesn't necessarily become memorable. Like maybe a moment or two from them become memorable, but that is that. What I witnessed today is something that, like, I'll always remember that long, like, the last however what I guess it would have been what forty minutes or so of that was just like drama one one thing after another, and it's it just typically doesn't unfold like that, or at least in my limited viewing, it hasn't. I. I felt pretty bad, and I I know in the long run he wouldn't remember it, but I put my son down for his nap right before France drew the first penalty, like in the 80th minute. Mm. I robbed him of that. I know. And I felt bad, but it, he wouldn't remember it anyway. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. He's one and a half. It's fine. But, yeah, awesome. dude, that was, that was as good as it gets, man, for soccer. I, Can you imagine, though, like, in the in the stands, like the fans, like how, like how intense it is, and to go through that if you're Argentina to be up, and it's like we're partying, baby. This is easy. We're done. It's like, yeah, let's celebrate. And then, dude woo! just flails his elbow. What was he doing? Tuck that thing in, man. Take it to the face. Don't get scared. Yeah, that was fun. That guy was, like, you want to. Every now and then you do something dumb. Like I've done something dumb. I got the punt blocked against Kansas State, right? Uh, in the national championship year. I the when I can't explain to you in a situation like that how you're over there thinking, dear God, just win this game. I don't care what else happens. Just win the game. That's it. That I know that dude was thinking the same thing. Like. We gotta find a way because this is all coming back on me if we don't. Yeah, I, I'm sure there was not a happier person in the uh, in the country of Qatar than that guy. Well, that was fun. That's the best soccer we've ever talked for I sure. I know, and it deserved it because it was that good. All right, for my loser of the weekend, thought about going with the Indianapolis Colts. Whoa, a little Saturday night NFL football and. If you didn't watch the game and you just looked at the score, you're like, what do you mean? 39-36 in overtime on the road against the Vikings? What what's the big deal? They were up 33 to nothing at halftime. <laughs> it's it is the biggest comeback in NFL history. And poor Matt Ryan, man, he's now the quarterback for the losing team in the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, and now the largest comeback in NFL history. Here's a little stat for you, Ted. Since 1930. Remember, they were up 33 to nothing. Teams were 1,548, one and one when leading by 30 plus. Wow. Teams are now 1,548, two and one. Jeez. Yeah, that's one of those things where I, when it starts to unravel and you know it, it's like, there's no stopping it. It's like, it's, it's this thing is going out of control on us and there's nothing we can do. Yeah. It, now the Vikings gave the Colts a whole lot of help in that first half to get out to that 33 to nothing lead. But man, that was, it was painful to watch. Oh, it was painful, but very entertaining second half in my opinion, but my loser of the weekend, little story from the weekend, Ted, my loser of the weekend, NBA officials. 
Went to the Thunder Grizzlies game on Saturday night. Which, by the way, um, someone told me, I was driving back from, from Texas, someone told me that you were getting a lot of television time, like you ha- kept having players like spill into you and stuff on the sideline. So, yes. So we brought my son to the game. So when we bring my son, we've we've got these four on the sideline and four on the baseline. The baseline ones are safer, typically, right? There's a little more distance. Well, <laughs> there's this woman uh, who's a photographer, and, I mean, she may weigh 100 pounds. <laughs> Maybe. Jaron Jackson Jr., who is huge, came and smoked her, dude. Smoked her, like straight in the chop, just like camera went flying, everything. So helped him up, helped her up. And then a couple minutes later, Poku comes and takes her out again. <laughs> I would just, oh, it was it was so good. But I, now she was fine. She was fine. But yeah, so I probably got some camera time from that. Yeah, there were some big bodies, and my son was just sitting there in my wife's lap like, this is awesome. (laughs) It was pretty funny. But So Thunder, no Shea Gilgis-Alexander, no Josh Giddy. You know, you're going to the game, you see that, you're like, well, damn it. But didn't matter. Get to watch John Morant, right? One of the most electric players in the league. I think he's one of the guys in the league where it's like, hey, He's worth the price of admission, right? And he got ejected in the second quarter. And it all happened about 15 feet from me. And what happened was there were these Memphis fans sitting right by us that had front row seats. And this woman, she was wearing like a Ja Morant caricature on a hoodie. Like she was obviously a Morant fan and Ja Morant got teed up. And then he started talking to these fans because they were like, hey, let's get going. They're down by 20. And basically, and if you have children in the car, you may want to may want to turn it down real quick. But John Rance like, hey, I'm going to get going if these refs will blow the fucking whistle. <laughs> and he's just talking to him. And the ref overhears him and tosses him out of the game. And everyone, even Thunder fans, are like, what are you, dude, what are y'all, what are you doing? And so I end up talking to an official because they end up right by. I was like, guys, what are y'all doing? And ref looked like, what are you talking? I was like, we're all, we're all here to watch that dude play. Why are you throwing him out of the game? <laughs> and this is the one that did not sit well with him. And I, I, I did. He didn't like almost toss me or anything. I was like, no one's here to watch y'all. <laughs> he did That's not true. like that. He did not like that line. It's true, but. Listen, if the player and I know that NBA refs, it is a thankless job, dude. Players are yelling at you every night and they bitch more now than ever. Fans are yelling at you every night. Like no one's saying, hey, you're doing great, man. You're the best or you're doing great. Like no one's saying that, but you have to understand the situation better than that. No star player for the Thunder. There are hundreds, there were hundreds of John Morant jerseys in the crowd, dude. I didn't realize he was as popular as he is. I mean, everyone, all kinds of 12 jerseys in the stands. And you toss him for talking to a fan just because he, what? Because he hurt your feelings? Like, he's not even talking to you. You have to have thicker skin than that if you're an NBA official. You have to. Like, it was, 
It was so dumb, dude. Yeah. That stuff gets uh that gets really frustrating, man. Really frustrating whenever like I can understand a like some of that stuff, it all happens so fast, it's hard to make a call. Like, you know, exactly yeah, did he foul him? Did he not? Is he flopping? Like some of that stuff is hard, a judgment call in the heat of the action. But something like that is it's just ridiculous. Come on, man. You're right. Like what you said is perfect. We're here to watch the superstars play. We're not here to watch your ego and you start tossing guys because they don't like the way that you're calling the game. It's ridiculous. It was in that. So it sounds like, dude, there's a lot of people that paid a lot of money to come watch that guy. And you just threw him out of the game because he hurt your feelings. Like I will say one of the cooler things that group, because I talked to that group of Memphis fans at halftime, and they felt horrible. I mean, they were like, he's the reason we're here to play, and we got him. We were essentially the main reason he got thrown out of the game, which may or may not be true. But John Morant's dad ends up appearing out of nowhere with John Morant on FaceTime, and he hands, him, hands these people the phone, and like they FaceTime with John Morant right there on the sideline as the game is going on. That's pretty cool. It was, it made me like John Moran a lot more. And he was like, Hey, it's all good. Cause I asked him what they were talking. He's like, they, he told him to not feel bad. Like it's all good. It wasn't their fault. I thought that I don't know how many NBA guys of his caliber would do something like that. So I, I already loved watching John Morant play, but I was like, this guy's awesome. It's pretty That's cool. cool. That's cool. Yeah. He is a, he is a stud. That dude can defy gravity, man. He is explosive. Yeah. And I wanted to watch it in the second <laughs> half, Ted. Now, ultimately, for the Memphis people that those aren't cheap tickets, you know, and the guy you're there to watch get tossed in the second quarter. That's frustrating. And it's one of those things where SGA is not playing. Giddy's not playing. Like Jaw didn't have to play with how the league operates now, but he did. And it's taught, it was it was frustrating. Now I will say, Thunder end up with a nice surprising win. Did not see that one coming when we saw the starting lineups. Dort was great. Isaiah Joe continues to be one of the surprise players. Just burying threes, baby. It was fun. They won, but the the whole John Morant getting ejected kind of just kind of just ruined the vibe, man. Yeah. Well, it's going to cost him some money too. He's got plenty of that, though. He's he's fine. He's fine. (laughs) But, you know, if if I could talk to those refs, I'd say those little children that came to watch their favorite player will never get those memories that you took away from them back. Ever. Never again. Never. And on that note, episode 276 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that will drop sometime on Wednesday. We got to decide. We got a bunch of signing day stuff to do uh, for OU TV-wise. So we'll... We'll figure out a time to get that bad boy recorded. But just a reminder, you're near Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. We always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.